Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's groundbreaking book, In This Together, landed on bookstore shelves with a powerful message. When we work together, we can do absolutely anything. Guidance from 40 women leaders with specific strategies to help women advance their careers makes In This Together even more relevant today, especially with the pandemic's impact on women in the workforce. Take your career to the next level with Dr. Nancy O'Reilly's In This Together, now available on audiobook. Download your copy today. Unilateral vision that I'm the light and everybody follows my vision. There needs to be a shared vision. We're all in it together and we're moving along the same course coherently together. And so, yeah, for a while I owned 100% of the or 80% of the company. And so you could say at the end of the day, that's where the power is. Um, but it's a benevolent dictatorship is the best way to say it. At the end of the day, yes, companies have to be run. They, it's hard to run them like democracies, but it is a matter of, of, of leading people and not, and not dictating. And I think those people then have a stake in what they do and a stake in their company. And they could do that with or without you. That's Thomas Rotha, the national leader of Markham's nonprofit and social sector group who realized that when I started out on my own, I just, I felt more like I needed to de define success in a different way. Real problems. I think at some point when I looked and said, I'm going to be looking at counting earnings per share for the next 35 years for other companies, is that really what I want to do? Career journeys. Clearly, we've created a community where people know of us and seek it out. But do they seek it out in other companies? Absolutely. If anybody else is listening that's running a company and you're not doing it, you're losing a, a large part of the workforce because people do want to have a sense of purpose and purpose can be found in a job. And leadership lessons. It's To me, it's not about running a company. It is about leading a company and it's really through example. I, I'd like to think that I'm not needed here. You're listening to The Real Years Podcast to find out what motivates people beyond their chosen careers. What's up, world? And welcome, Facebook friends, to episode 31 of The Real Years Podcast with my friend Thomas Rafa of Rafa Markham Nonprofit and Social Sector Group. Thomas, how are you doing this fine Thursday? Doing good, Kevin. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you here as uh, uh, your group has ranked uh, 53rd on the Reelers 100 list, um, ranking the top impact companies of 2019. And folks, you can find um, uh, uh, nonprofit social sector group and their mission, their vision, all of that on the Reelers 100 edition available in newsstands around North America uh, in January 23rd. But we're not here to talk about the magazine today, Tom. We're, we're here to talk about you. So explain to us, why is your group on the Real Leaders 100 list? Um, you, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I was saying to my staff when I announced that we were on it was is that we don't really do it for the, the, the recognition, but it's always good to do to, to get the recognition. I think, you know, for, for years, we've just kept our head down to try to positively affect social change. So we've never really defined ourselves as being a CPA firm or an insurance company or a wealth management group as much as we have as being social change agents. And I think when you're there for the bigger purpose, um, maybe in 1984 when we started, nobody really cared. I'm not sure that there were 
um, businesses that you could say were socially responsible. If there were, we didn't know about them. There were few and far between. But now it's become, uh, gratefully so, a, a, a big item and, and, and people look for that. And so I think the recognition says that the world is changing and that people are recognizing that um, social capitalism may be a better way to go than just strictly capitalistic theory. We, we agree, definitely. And uh, Tom, I interview a lot of social entrepreneurs. Uh, the Rafa group is, is different though. Uh, can you explain to me all of the branches and divisions and, and everything that goes into Rafa? Uh, you know, it's interesting because really when I I was with uh, a big four for about 10 years and I was doing mostly securities and exchange commission work, so big Fortune 500 companies. When I left in 84 to start the company, my goal really was to, to basically work back in community. And, you know, when you think about yourself being an accountant, it's hard to if you're defining yourself that way to find purpose in how I go to advance community. So I had to really think that through. And once I stopped defining myself as just strictly being an accountant and saying I'm up for social change. And I really, I, I looked at it and said, who's doing the best work in the community at that time it was nonprofit organizations. So I said, those are the people that we're going to help. Um, and we started just simply by building capacity in one way, which was accounting with the nonprofits. But once we realized that most of what they needed was a, a holistic approach to actually doing better work, um, that's when other divisions of the company or other new companies were formed to say, um, there's not somebody else out there that can do HR as well for a nonprofit. We sort of understood the sector. And so that's how it all grew. But it was all within the same goal of how do we advance community through our skill sets that are that are HR, that are wealth management, that are technology, that are, you know, whatever whatever it might be. And, and Tom, did you have an early passion for helping in, in growing uh, systemic change? Uh, or was this something that you kind of realized later on uh, while working for the big four and say, hey, with my skills now, I can, you know, make a big impact? I, you know, I, I think probably I, I may have lost my way. And that's not to say that I, I enjoyed my nine and a half years at, at working with the SEC clients. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It's still, it's a, it's a part of who I am and it built my experience. But I really started... Um, to go to Georgetown to basically work in social justice law. I had been um, uh, gotten in trouble when I was younger. Miranda rights were taken away. And so I, being the smart ass that I was, thought, well, I can fix the juvenile justice system, right? So when I did that, I, I you know, where I ended up, and it's a longer story than we want to probably want to go into, but I ended up doing this accounting work and then taking this job over a period of time to try to get back to law school and that never happened. So I think at some point when I looked and said, I'm going to be looking at counting earnings per share for the next 35 years for other companies, is that really what I want to do? And I think part of it is, is just how we define success. Um, the metric typically is, financial success. I mean, when people are financially successful, I think most people look at them and say they're good. They're good people. There's something special about those people. I don't necessarily think that's true. And I was so in, 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 engulfed in that whole concept with going out and trying to get folks earnings per share up. I'd get them, them, I'd make their companies money. They'd pay us a lot of money through, through, the, through the CPA firm. I'd make a lot of money. And everybody there just thought I was, that, that those people that did that work were special. And I knew that just that wasn't correct. So when I started out on my own, I just, I felt more like I needed to de define success in a different way. 
And so that's that's really where I went back to my roots and said, the, the, the idea of what I do every day, making some kind of solid difference, just seemed to fulfill my purpose more than counting earnings per share. Interesting. Did I stump you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here I am again. <laughs> no, uh, so I want to take you back. So I'm. you said I'm up for social change. Um, what is the Rafa Group doing right now? And can you kind of explain to our audience who have never heard of it before um, what the group does? Yeah, uh, you know, it's it, it, there's so many variables of how um, over the years it's grown into these different groups that originally were working to build capacity in nonprofits. So, you know, governance, technology, HR, I mentioned a few of them before, but just taking a holistic approach and saying, if you're out there trying to find a cure for cancer, how can we make it so that you're more effective at your mission? Because mm. I'm not a doctor and I can't find a cure for cancer. So this, what my skill set is, is this, and I'm gonna activate that skill set. If you look back 10 or 15 years ago, though, when the world seemed to change more into social aspect of, even businesses operating that way. It was a nice slip in to get into also startups and social impact groups that were trying to do good work that were also for profit because we certainly had skill sets in for profit tax and all the rest of the things. So it seemed to be a really good fit. But again, it, it seems like it's so different from the outside, but it is still those people trying to, uh, to trying to do good in the community. And then now you're doing now you take it for 35 years and We've started to do in the past five years more direct things, more things directly related to like to start a program in Malawi for women's health, to work with um, uh, vital voices in mentoring their their women throughout the world that are that are actually working on the ground in some of these developing countries. So people have, are able to make the connection a little bit better. My employees can look at it and say, it's not so much just that I'm doing a set of books that are that how is that connecting to the purpose of social change? They're actually much, much more involved in it. And that's that's always been one of my goals because I feel it. I want my employees to feel that same sense of purpose. And do you find that people that apply um, to your organization come in with these these passions and this purpose to make the world a better place? I think generationally that's just happened in the past mm. five to 10 years. I mean, you know, hiring 20 years ago, maybe it didn't make that much of a difference to anybody but me. And I was running the place, so I got to do what I wanted. But, you know, over a period of time, I think, yes, it's, it's clearly we've created a community where people know of us and seek it out. But do they seek it out in other companies? Absolutely. If anybody else is listening that's running a company and you're not doing it, you're losing a, a large part of the workforce because people do want to have a sense of purpose and purpose can be found in a job. But if it's only a job, there's no way you're going to find your life purpose in that. And I think that's, that's really what smart employers are starting to figure out. And so however they get to social change, I don't really care if it's to basically employ a better workforce or if it's to attract customers because you're saying you're being more socially responsible, it still gets us to the end goal. And so I'm, I'm happy with the way the change has happened. And do you find that when, I guess, I think you're referencing earlier, uh, the stock market and uh, I was reading a book called Conscious Capitalism and it said uh, when, when the economy collapses, a lot of these um, social impact uh, companies, their stock goes down because they have higher costs. 
But what really helps them out is their employees. Their employees stay, their turnover rates are low, and the, comp- the company is able to sustain uh, for long-term growth. Um, you know, do you find a, a similar um, parallel with your company? And um, is that part of the reason why uh, you have instilled some of these principles? You know, it's a, I, I don't think that that was my reason for doing it, but mm. as, as we progressed, yes. I mean, I, you know, we, when we were Rafa and not part of a larger group for the CPA firm, we were always in a national survey of the top 100 CPA firms in the country. They did it by revenue size. And there was a, a study around that one of the questions they asked was voluntary and involuntary turnover. Um, now, you know, we're a very competitive firm. We have, we try to attract the best people. So because of that, there, we were, we were forcing people out that weren't qualified to work here, but the people that left that we didn't want to leave was lower than 2%. And for a CPA firm, that's astronomical. I mean, you're good if you're 10%. People, some CPA firms might expect that they're going to lose 30, 40% of their workforce within the first couple of years. With millennials, um, those numbers probably go up, right? People switch mm-hmm. jobs a lot. It's, and, you know, it, it comes at what a lot of companies feel they can't pay the price. But if you look at it and you say um, that what, you, what you're most concerned about in your lifetime is what we're most concerned about. And certainly working is a big part of that. But we consistently, I believe, live our life in silos. And that might be your family life, your community and your community service, if you're religious, your church um, uh, or your religion, um, and, and also just your, your, your being in your workforce and, and showing up for work every day. If, if an employer could spend an effort in saying, it's as important for me that you are raising a family, that you're going home to see your son's baseball game on Thursday, that you're going to, a, uh, to act, be an active participant in in, in your church as a, as a, as a bishop in the Mormon church or as a, as a, as a, as a cantor in, in the Jewish religion. I mean, if, if that's as important to me, then that sort of blends and integrates your life with your church, with your family. And I think that makes your purpose and the way you exist better and it makes your employment better. So for me, it's as important to me that somebody goes home and sees their son's baseball game on a Thursday as it is that they finish a tax return for me. And so when people feel like those values are my values and it's not just all about pushing dollars to the bottom line, I think they feel better about where they work and that makes them stay long. Wow. That's a, and as a, you know, a young 23 year old, that's a lot to think about uh, in the future, obviously, um, which is why I want to transition this to, um, you know, when you were starting out, um, Tom, how is your motivation and in, in your craft and the way you, um, you look at life and work? How has that changed from when you started to where you are now? It, it's interesting because when you think about philanthropy in the, in the, in the strictest sense it's really just the loving and caring of humankind. So, but, but people are along it almost as an arc. Like, you know, you can't really see around the corner. You can't see the arc. So you don't know where it's going. So companies are like that. People are like that. They start very small. I, I believe that philanthropy is very, very contagious. So as people progress, they like it. It's a good part of it. So if we have an internship here, the most popular thing might be the day of service that they do in their internship, right? So you can tell that it's something that is important to people just, just because we're human beings and we care about others. So if, it, you know, for me, it's the same thing. I grew along this arc. And so I, my, my, my ambition is typically to understand where people are on that and to try to move them along it as opposed to being frustrated that they're not necessarily where we are 
as a, as an ind- as individuals or as a company. Um, so it's it's I try not to get frustrated where other big companies are doing very very small things and making big deals about them. But I, because my hope is, is that they'll move along this arc over a period of time and understand that, you know, for instance, you know, it's not just economics that drive marketplaces, social needs drive marketplaces too. And so if we start to fulfill social needs, there's, there's money to be made there. That's what impact investing is about. So the whole world is changing around social capitalism. So when you talk about the markets dropping in these recent days, I would contend that most of the social companies have been fairly stable. They're usually above the curve. And that's all things that I didn't know. I just worked at it. And now there's evidence of it. So it's almost like, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look at it and say, this is the way we wanted to be. We just grew into that. And now it seems to be mm. something that's been proven out and, and effectively, you know, it's, it's, you, you yes, you keep your employees longer. Uh, you treat your vendors better. You get better products and services. Um, you know, you work in community, people will buy your services typically if they're the same quality of somebody else, but you happen to be a more, more community involved. I mean, so all this stuff is somewhat, somewhat coming to fruition. I didn't do it for the rewards, but the rewards seem to be coming in for that. So interesting. I like that. I like that a lot because with the real leaders, you know, we're, we're uh, what I like to tell people is the magazine that kind of serves as uh, some binoculars to see like what the future of business might look like um, and how it can be sustained and, and social capitalism and all, and all that. Um, uh, say, hundred years from now, now let's say 50, what do you think the future of business will look like? I, I, I don't know that I, you know, it's funny because, you know, when you do something well, um, people tend to like to say you're a visionary, right? And I, I just don't believe any of that to be factually correct. I think at me as a businessman, and so what you see are the things that are my successes. Nobody's going to see the things that I failed at. So I wish I could say that in 1984, uh, if I followed this track, I was going to get there. But that's almost like that arc, too. I just worked on it. I didn't know what was really around the corner. And so it's hard for me to, to basically take credit for that, because when I started to work in nonprofits, my partners at my big four would say, what are you doing? And I'd say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing nonprofit management. And they'd say, well, that's an oxymoron. And so how do you make a living at it? And I'd say, well, I'm not. I mean, at that point, I wasn't. But the dollars were not what was important. It was the impact I was having on community. So I'm not saying it's the right way. And every once in a while, people will say to me, you're philanthropic because you're so successful. But I, I honestly believe we can do what we do and become who we are because the first day I started the business, I committed to giving away 10% of our gross revenue. And so it, it, I believe we are who we are now and the size we are and the success we are because of the, our, our caring of humankind, that, that philanthropic. So take that 50 years forward, Kevin, like you said, what could it look like if everybody sort of believed? Um, I think it could really change the world because I believe that Corporations are in an outdated value proposition at this point. If you look at the Fortune 500 companies and you look 15 years ago, 300 of them that were on there 15 years ago are no longer on. So if, is that really a sustainable model? Are the people that we hold accolades to, is Google going to be around 50 years from now? I mean, I, I don't know that. But I think that unless things change for social betterment, I don't think the model of just pushing dollars to the bottom line this quarter, this month, this day, 
is the way that companies can thrive and sustain themselves over a period of time. I think long-term performance measurements need to be put into capitalism. And long-term performance measurements always have to do with building up community because if my community is not successful, there's no way I can run my business in it. I mean, community has to thrive for my business to thrive. And now a quick message from the company who made this podcast possible. Hey listeners, if you're a fan of the show, you've probably heard me reference impact investing often. It's one of the most effective ways to support clean energy and limit greenhouse gases to save our future. And I'm no expert in finance by any means on this subject, but I know who is. I'd like to introduce you to Arnerich Messina. Arnerich Messina is an independent investment advisory firm serving individuals and families, foundations and endowments, and corporate clients across the United States. With an emphasis on impact investing and specialization in private markets, the firm has become known for its forward-looking, world-class research and investment opportunities. You can visit them online at www.am-a.com to learn more about their investment approach and read the company's recent white paper, Impact Investing, Why, What, How. Again, folks, that's am-a.com. You can go on there and start investing in impact today. Well, I believe that too. And I think you're an interesting guest to have on because some of the other really 100 winners um, who have these great businesses now, and um, they have to absorb some high costs because of fair trade um, or uh, distribution or their products that they're having, um, uh, the raw materials, everything like that. Um, And there's these trade-offs. Um, but what they're seeing is is a lot of this long-term growth. You know, what advice would you have to a um, social entrepreneur who is just starting out? Uh, well, there's there's some, but 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 to reference what you just said, I think part of it is is what I said previously is is that you have to think long-term because no matter what you know, when you're thinking about the environment, for instance, it's going to be cheaper to do it less green. There's, you know, so if you're thinking about this quarter's profits, you're not going to be thinking about the environment, right? Um, If you, if you look at an employee situation, which is an honest situation that happened to us where our, our health insurance went up by 25%. Now I own the insurance company that sells us the health insurance. So, you know, statistically i could find out that some of it was just the marketplace and others was the fact that we had catastrophic illnesses that were well above what we should have had as a group so my guys could make it so that i cut the benefits and maybe lower the deduct raise the deductibles and i would have saved the six or seven hundred thousand dollars but again short term that makes sense long term it's i want to know why my people aren't healthy I want to start a wellness program. I want to fix the problem. That's going to cost more in the short term. And I can't guarantee anybody that's my partner or my boss that it's that we're going to make the return. But I can tell you that consciously it's a better thing for me to do because I care about my employees. And at the end of the day, those people are going to be healthier. And should that help? Yes. Statistically, Johnson & Johnson set up a non-smoking thing. They, 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 they will say that they, they're saving $3.65 for every penny they spent on that program. But, that, but that's not always evidential, and it takes a long time. And if we're constantly in an environment like in the United States where we look at impact as what did I earn today? What did that company produce for me as a shareholder? We're going to lose sight of the bigger picture. Hmm. And I think we, we are going to have 
bigger problems with planets. So young entrepreneurs, you have to you have to not think from day to day. Think about your company being long term and, and striving for long term sustainability and viability and not short term performance. I love it. Think long term. And now back to Rafa, systemic change. I think you mentioned earlier you were trying, hey, if you want to cure cancer, I don't know how to do that. We're going to help uh, you accelerate your company, whatever it is. Uh, what is your favorite accomplishment um, from working with Rafa? Wow. I, there's, there's so much stuff oh. that we do on a daily basis that just makes me smile. And I don't say that because it's, it, you know, that, that it, it's meant to be powerful or to say we're something special. I think, in fact, a lot of times I just feel like we're very odd and I wish we weren't. I wish there were more companies that were people that were like us. But it's, it's, it, there's so many things that can happen and they're, they're effectively on small scales. And then we have some things that are on very, very large scales, um, like the Women's Health Initiative really almost um, uh, stemmed uh, child marriages from happening um, in Malawi. But, you know, take something small that maybe people can relate to. Um, years ago, there was a school that um, uh, had an after-school program. There was a waiting list of 200 people in the after-school program, and there were about 25 people in it they asked us as consultants to come in and sort of figure it out. And, um, you know, as good consultants, we did this assessment. We figured out they either need more people or it wasn't as simple as this, but or a computer system to handle the insurance forms that needed to go through here because there weren't enough people mm -hmm. handling it. They had volunteers. So we helped them put in a program. And again, most companies would look at it and say, okay, the program cost us $35,000. we are going to charge them fifty, and our work is done, right? But our people understand that true impact happens from what from facilitating what the client wants, which is they want 225 kids in the program. So this was a means to the end. It wasn't the end. And when the program was put in and there were 225 kids in the program, we that's that's our achievement for success. Now you take two months later and I go there and there's no kids on the playground. I go in to find out why and I find out that the volunteers turned over and they didn't know how to run the program. So they were back to where they were before. So now my job is to basically put in a learning module for them to figure that out. I don't know whether other companies would have learned from that experience or not, because they would have done exactly what their contract said they were going to do to build the computer system. But what our contracts say is we're going to get 225 kids in the after school program. So our achievement is about impact. It's not about billing hours. It's not about facilitating certain things like you're going to get an audited statement or you're going to get health insurance. It's really, there's an end goal to all of these things. And ours, our work is just a means to that end. And when we lose track of that, we, we, our, our, our services and our goods become less valuable. Interesting. Interesting. And, and Tom, you said, I wish there were more companies that were like us. Uh, what, what's the main message to uh, someone who is thinking about coming to this space? I, I think we have to, we, uh, we, we as business leaders have to set up some kind of ROI. I don't, I don't think that people generally will become B certified just for becoming B certified. It's not easy to be B certified. It's, right. you know, and, and there's no, there's no real reward for that. That's measurable, especially in terms of thinking about coming to this space. I, I think we have to, we, uh, we, we as business leaders have to set up some kind of ROI. I don't, I don't think that people generally 
will become B certified just for becoming B certified. It's not easy to be B certified. It's, right. you know, and, and there's no, there's no real reward for that. That's measurable, especially in terms of dollars to the bottom line. I mean, I think in the long run, yes, again, it's the long-term play for me, but, but we have to figure out a way where society looks at a B certified company or a socially responsible business and says, I'm going to buy from you because of that. Then there's an ROI. I'm going to come to work for you because of that. Then there's an ROI. And the more there is this ROI where where people can see it and it becomes a little bit more instantaneous, it becomes a quarterly earnings and not a five-year goal plan, then more companies will be involved in it. I, I think that's better than probably trying to change the mindset of every business leader in this country to think, longer term and to think that it's that this may not be the profitability that I want, but it's the right thing to do. I just don't think that flies because every time we've ever wanted to work with a company around CSR, they are faced with shareholders, even like you and me, no matter how impactful we want to be, we see our bank statement at the end of the month or our our pension. And what do we look for? Our impact is how much money did we earn in the marketplace, right? So we all sort of still think like that. And because of that, they're answerable to boards of directors, to shareholders. They're going to lose their job if earnings per share consistently go down. So how do I tell them that they're going to last five years with with poor earnings for the fifth year that I'm not even sure is going to be successful? Um, just to recap, we've talked about Rafa, um, everything that they're doing to drive the systemic change. Uh, Thomas so graciously uh, talked about his his viewpoints and his advice um, to young entrepreneurs, to businesses and, and competitors, and kind of has broken down uh, what uh, ethical and, and conscious capitalism looks like. Um, now, Tom, you, you mentioned your uh, some values and traditions, um, and it seems like you're a family man. You know how important is it to have a, a solid group and and support uh, system behind you? Uh, I, you know, again, it's you know, it's really it's it's amazing because I always say that I I feel very very fortunate to come to work here and know that there's 250 300 people that. Are, are finding a place to work that really matters to them, that there's some importance. So, um, but, but again, all those things have importance to varying degrees for different people. You know, for instance, I'm not super religious, so it's not like I'm spending a lot of time at church, but I understand that people that are find so much value and purpose in that, that I'm not here to judge what you believe. I just want you to believe. I just, I just feel like if we can look at that and say there's this holistic approach to this where people are very, very satisfied because there's a, there's not, they're not trying to balance their work in life. They're trying to integrate their work, their life, their church. And, and I said this earlier, in so doing, I think people find true happiness. So I feel like my job is not to make people better accountants or better financial people or better insurance salesmen or better technology guys. It's my job is to just to make them better human beings. And if they can find that in themselves over a period of time, whether they stay here or not is not important. It's that when they leave here, they're better people than when they came here. And I think that's that's every CEO's role. And if they don't they don't really see it, they're missing a great joy in the job that I have. Um, and, and you asked earlier about defining, and we went off on a little bit of a tangent, and helping people that are starting out. I think one of the biggest mistakes that people make is they define themselves by the education that they had. 
And so it's easy for you to, when people ask you to say you're an accountant or you're an attorney. But the truth is, is that, again, it's just to me, it's a means to the end. And people have come in here and changed what they, what they might define themselves as. And, and again, the, the thing that they may have started with was what they got an education in. A couple of months here, they define themselves as, as, as much, much better in a way that, 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 that really does help them find bigger purpose than just being an accountant or an attorney. Well, Tom, uh, Rafa Markham, nonprofit, nonprofit social sector group ranked 53rd on the Relators 100 list. Yeah. What's so, up with that? Why are we higher than that? Uh, <laughs> hey, there are a lot of people that applied. There are a lot of people. I think you should be proud of that. I'm actually, I'm, you know, I'm just kidding because I remember the first time I was be certified and, um, we, we got a score of 100 something. I'm not going to get it right or something. And I, the first thing I did was I said, OK, where did the other 80 points go? And the next time, let's work. Let's find out what we didn't do, not what we did do right, but what we didn't do and, and fill all of those. So I, my, my goal is always to be the best, you know, so, you know, and, and again, that's that's being a role model for everybody else, I think, as well. So. Well, well, we got the best podcast so far, so you know, Thank you we're, very much. we're, we're doing fine on that on that aspect. Um, but Relators Magazine, Tom, I got to ask you, what would you say your definition of a Relator is? Um, wow, that's that's tough. You know, I, 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 you know, again, I think that it's to me, it's not about running a company; it is about leading a company, and it's really through example. Um, so. I, I think part of the problem, again, in the way companies are run is, is that people like somebody like Lee Iacocca is a really great example, right? Everybody considered him to be a great leader. And I'm not saying that he wasn't, that he, he turned around. He turned around Chrysler and went in and turned around Chrysler. But when he left, Chrysler went out of business again. Mm. To me, value is shared. I, I'd like to think that I'm not needed here. But at, at the end of the day, people get what we're doing and they can do it as well without me. So I don't necessarily think that there needs to be this unilateral vision that I'm the light and everybody follows my vision. There needs to be a shared vision. We're all in it together and we're moving along the same course coherently together. And so, yeah, for a while I owned 100 percent of the or 80 percent of the company. And so you could say at the end of the day, that's where the power is. Um, but it's a benevolent dictatorship is the best way to say it. At the end of the day, yes, companies have to be run. They, it's hard to run them like democracies, but it is a matter of, of, of leading people and not, and not dictating. And I think those people then have a stake in what they do and a stake in their company. And they could do that with or without you. They may not know that, but I think I could leave tomorrow and this company will, will certainly survive. And I'm not sure that that's the case in some of these other companies where we hold these people out to be iconic and they hold themselves out to be visionaries because it becomes only their vision. And without them, the light goes off and people get lost and the companies go out of business. So sustainability to me is really is in your CEO leadership and how you, whether you dictate or whether you listen. Well said, folks. Thomas Rafa, everybody. Let's give him a hand, a virtual hand. There we go. And um, Tom, any last words where people can learn more about um, Rafa Markham and um, you know, anything about the being on the list? Yeah, I think, you know, we have a lot to look forward to. There's a lot of work to do, but there's a lot to look forward to. When we, Kevin, when we were talking in prep and I said, you know, um, it's, it's wonderful to have impact, but true impact comes when you can scale something. I think what you can look for is that 
as Rafa becomes more of Markham and Markham hopefully becomes more of Rafa and the name emerges Markham, you'll, we will see not just a $80 million or $60 million CPA firm being on this list, but a seven, $800 million CPA firm making be certified, being the best in real leaders and being a role model to say, yes, it's not just the smaller companies that can do this. It's the bigger companies. And so my goal as the leader of the nonprofit and social sector in Markham is to make that change. And I've got 25 offices in the United States and another, you know, 17 or whatever and throughout the world that are Markham offices and a lot of really great people that do want to be led into this change. And I, and I think that's really where, uh, where we're going to go. And that's, if I've got the next five years to do that, um, that's what I'm looking forward to. So everybody keep your eyes open and, and look to Markham to be, uh, not just the best CPA firm uh, in the world, but the best CPA firm for the world. And my goal is to see uh, Markham crack that top 10 list for 2020. There, so, there you go. <laughs> there, we, there we have it. Uh, Thomas, Thanks, appreciate Keep your time. Mind. Yeah, appreciate your time coming on the show. Folks, you can check out more Realtors 100 winners online at real-layers.com slash RL-100. Uh, see their stories, their impact at real-layers.com. All right, folks. And for everyone out there, have a great Thursday. We've got another episode coming up um, today, uh, and that is going to be with Green Canopy, um, another one, really 100 winner. So, folks, stay tuned and always keep it real.